We have all heard the stories of Gaia and the Triad. After all, it is the basis upon which the Garu teach their pups about their cause. In the beginning, there was Gaia, and she created the world as we know it. She shaped the stars in the sky, the water in the ocean, and everything in between. She set three mighty spirits to keep balance of this new world, each given an important task that was theirs alone. The Wild would create life all around it, wild and abundant, plentiful in form and function. There would be no order under the Wild, and it would bring with it evolution, growth and prosperity. The Weaver was given the task of building and maintaining the fabric of the world. She constructed legions of servants to help her in this task, and together they have wrought about order and structure in our reality. In a sense, she and her servants would represent law where the wills would be chaos. Finally, the Wyrm was brought forth to destroy what needed so that new creation could rise from their ashes. It was a thankless job, for the Weaver despised seeing her creations destroyed, yet the Wyrm knew it needed to be done, and it would take solace in its role of maintaining the balance of Gaia's creation. But the weaver snared the worm in her web, unwilling to let it continue its destruction of her creations. The worm was driven insane by its entrapment, and thus would become corrupted and unforgiving, lashing out at all of creation without care for what and how much was destroyed. And thus the werewolves were created. Their task, along with the other pharaoh, was to maintain and protect the order that Gaia had ordained. They would fight the servants of the Wyrm wherever they dwelled, healing the land and its denizens. Yet they failed in this, and even now, countless generations after the War of Rage, where the Garu slaughtered the other pharaoh, their descendants desperately try to hold back the tide of corruption that their great foe brings. To help them, the Garu seek the aid of the spirits. Being of two natures, spirit and flesh, the werewolves are able to travel through what they call the gauntlet, the veil which separates our physical world from the spiritual realm of the Umbra, and they are studied under spirits of all manners and kinds. The Guru believed that there once was no veil, that the two worlds existed closely together as mirrors or twins. Today the Umbra is something difficult to access for the Guru, especially in places where the weaver's servants have knit reality tightly. Yet beyond the veil of the gauntlet, there are countless spirits. There are ancient spirits representing animals and plants side by side with tiny electrical spirits akin to digital software or viruses, and even the spirits of ancestors and living pollution. The elements too have spirits, and the guru thus have to be careful not to insult particularly strong or sensitive spirits and incurring their wrath. Spirits are generally unable to enter our world unless given a proper vessel to inhabit, either a prepared item, which in turn then becomes a fetish, or the body of a living being, which becomes possessed, eventually even transforming to better suit the spirit's desires as it becomes more familiar with its workings. The Garu gain great power and guidance from their totem spirits, powerful beings of the Umbra who often rule over lesser spirits of their kind. 
These serve, of course, as spiritual guides, but they are likewise real, capable of addressing the Guru in person and even seeing eye to eye should they venture into their realm. Thus most Guru have come to realize that they need to properly show respect for their totem, partly because of the very real danger a spirit scorned might pose to them. The Penumbra is the part of the spirit world closest to ours, and thus resembles our world in most regards. There are relatively functioning laws of physics. Many objects in our world have reflections in it, especially if they are old or held a strong emotional value, and spirits bound to certain items or concepts can often be seen in the penumbra. Yet of course more powerful spirits tend to form their own domains deeper in the velvet shadow in a place called the near umbra. The umbra is not a permanent place that one may navigate with a map or by the stars. It is ever-changing, a place of potential and ideas where everything that could have ever been can be found. A vast, dense forest can be right next to Roman ruins or a retro-futuristic space station. And of course, the deeper into the umbra one goes, the more abstract it will get. Gravity will reverse or stop working entirely, mass becoming irrelevant, and shapes are retained only by an exertion of will as flesh becomes as malleable as clay. Some even argue, the Stargazers tribe in particular, that the Umbra is indeed shaped by the personality and experiences of the person perceiving it, those of the strongest will having the most influence over its shape. And there, furthest into the Umbra, the triad are said to reside, at least in some capacity, and perhaps even Gaia, the source of all creation. But Guru who travel into the deep Umbra rarely dare risk encountering these immensely powerful manifestations, and many fear that those who do never live to tell of it. There are many domains in the Penumbra that serve as an anchor between the physical realm and the near Umbra. There are, for example, hellholes, where worm creatures thrive and grow in numbers, and they are often found at places of deep corruption and environmental destruction. Slightly less damaged areas may also be inhabited by weaver spirits, these places called blights, and are likewise mirroring environments of pollution and heavy human interference in nature. On the other end, you have glens and webs. Glens are places of strong-willed energy, of untamed nature and raw chaos. They are often inhabited by all kinds of life, even including sentient plants and creatures. Webs are purely weaver domains and may be located at places like a stock market, a massive skyscraper, or a server farm. There are also other beings who occasionally travel through the Umbra, and the Fae have the occasional trods, places channeling the old magic of the fair folk, and often older than civilization itself. These are painfully rare these nights, and are often jealously guarded by their owners if they know of them. Epiphs are places of raw concepts and ideas, and are often difficult to understand or navigate. The number 24, for example, can have an entire epiph about itself, as can the concept of the death rattle, or the sound of a child laughing. Some stargazers are said to occasionally meditate and achieve some manner of enlightenment and understanding in these places, but that might also just be the power of imagination at work. 
Finally, the chimeras are dreamscapes, individualized domains where any being who dreams create euphoric paradises or unspeakable horrors as their minds process and project their innermost thoughts and feelings. Once you go further, into the near Umbra, you start to find stranger and even more overwhelming domains, places that manifest all atrocities committed by humanity through time, or manifestations of all legends of the Garu tribes in one single realm, where heroes of old times can be consulted as if they were still alive and well. Beyond that, there is the Dream Zone, a collective subconscious realm where dreams are made manifest and from which the chimeras spring. This world can be entered by a guru who dreams, and it is a final border between the near and the deep umbra, separated by a thick membrane which is difficult to pierce unless one knows a way to an anchorhead. What lies beyond the membrane few guru know with certainty, and it is a topic we may cover in the future. To both Lupus and Hamid Garou, the first time they step sideways, that is, pass through the gauntlet, the experience may be harrowing. They have certainly experienced the presence of spirits before then, either sensed or even perceived, but to enter their realm is something entirely different. The third breed, those born from the forbidden union of two Garou, may often however find themselves so close with the spirit world having grown up in a cairn and thus surrounded by both spirits and Garou familiar with them, that the transition is much simpler for them. Even though the initial fear experienced, once they step sideways, may be overcome, only the most foolish of Garou ever fully let their guard down, despite the often benign nature of the Umbra. After all, few other beings are ever able to enter this realm, and for the Garou, it is like a second home a place where they may rest and recover, consult on matters with spirits, and take the fight against the worm to its doorstep. Indeed, the spirit world is often where the fight must be done. For while the physical world, the material world, is reflected in the Umbra, so too will the presence of spirits affect the real world. An abundance of spirits of fire may cause a place to become intolerably warm, dry, or even run a very real risk of being set ablaze. But those same spirits would be reluctant to gather in a place where the material world is wet, cold, and inhospitable to them. Even so, given enough time, the nature of a place can be radically altered by spirits, and this is something the Wyrm and Weaver are exceptionally gifted at, especially since they employ mortal agents as well in order to aid them in these changes. A verdant forest may quickly become a toxic, bane-spawning wasteland when the Wyrm's mortal servants introduce a landfill of toxic waste into it. The Wyrm spirits inhabiting this waste will gather and further corrupt their surroundings, until eventually the balance has shifted so far towards the baleful blight of the corruptor that it is almost beyond salvation. Likewise, skyscrapers, factories, and shopping malls are all creations of the weaver, silicon and concrete and mass-produced wares strengthening the local weaver spirits, potentially even birthing new ones as the gauntlet grows ever thicker. Yet the will is not powerless in this regard either. We have all seen the conquest of life as plants sprout from under asphalt, vegetation overtaking abandoned buildings, and wildlife returning to the sites of nuclear meltdowns, thriving in an environment inhospitable to human life. The will is not powerless, 
and thus it cannot and should not be ignored by the Garu. Because just as the imbalance of the Weaver and the Wyrm have caused untold harm to the world, so too would a shift of power to the Wild, where unrestrained chaos would wreak havoc. These are all topics of zealous debate amongst the Garu tribes. Some, like the Red Talons, urge for a massive culling of humanity, seeing them as the cause of Gaia's suffering, while the Glasswalkers instead urge for a closer collaboration with the Weaver, seeing not the inherent corrupting influence in her and her servants unlike in the Wyrm. Indeed, were the Guru ever to unite fully in their cause, and commit to a single goal, it would not be impossible that the tide may still be turned, but fear of failure, pride, and dog-headed commitment all serve to keep the tribes squabbling ever as the world grows further and further into an unsalvageable state. When next we convene, I will speak more of the spirits that inhabit the realms of the Umbra, the names given to them, and what roles they fulfill in the unique and complex ecosystem of the Velvet Shadow. Until then, I hope your journeys through the shadows are safe and untouched by the Wyrm, and that your fangs bite hard and your claws rend deep should you encounter any of its foul get. Their numbers are five, and they are dark gods. Snow, an insightful yet compassionate master. Bambi Parsons, whose passion inspires and leads by example. Dr. Sheepington, a sage and venerable keeper of ancient wisdom. The unemployed writer, whose words have guided nations through the aeons. And Dugal, the ancient and terrifying who stalks the night. These are our masters, and to worship them is to attain salvation. Their childer, the Methuselah, sit like kings and queens above us, their wills ours to obey. They are her satanic majesty Danny, reborn through fire and ice. Maximilian as Hardcastle, a master of our ancient jihad. Socrates Johnson, a scholar and mentor. The ambitious and loyal Lauren Eason, the enigmatic yet influential Procyon, as well as Alexander Kanehurst of the dreaded Vilebloods. On the Council of the Primogen are seated Edward Reed, Colin Gifford, Zero Six, Stonewolf Eighteen, Jokerman, Ian Nichols, the Black Friar, Ravenfang, Brad Hardwick, and Pilgrim, wise leaders and of good judgment. This week the Council would wish to thank especially the Elder Justin S. for your support. We are ever in your debt for the loyalty you have shown us, and we would also wish to honor the Ancilla Harry Wyckoff, Thank you once again, my friend. Naturally, all of our elders, Ancilla, and neonates receive our gratitude from the bottoms of our hearts. Without your support, this would not be possible. And thank you for watching. When will you rage?